it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm one of those aforementioned CPG guys. I'm Peter V.S. Bond. I'm also the Vice President of Retail Strategy at PowerViews. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host. He's an e-commerce luminary. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, he is the Bonnie to my Clyde, the Ben to my Jerry, the Pinky to my brain. He, and, and like people like Flea and Pink and even Liberace, He's known by only one name. Please join me in welcoming my co-host, Shri. How are you doing today, Shri? Awesome, Peter. Thank you, as always. And it's a pleasure to be doing this podcast with you and an honor as well. And here we are. Uh, we'll wait for you to tell us who our special guest today is. But this one's in the history book, so I can't wait to get started. Yeah, and before we do, let me remind our audience that if you want to find any of our content... Download on podcast platforms, watch YouTube videos. You can even download a PDF of our favorite podcasts. Uh, there's a lot of content. Just go to cpgguys.com. That's cpgguys.com. And if you really would and you like this podcast, do us a favor. Go to tinyurl.com slash podcast. That takes you to the Apple platform and, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us with our business. Anyhow, so let's get back to our guest today. Um, uh, I've known our guest today for about 15 years. We met in the lobby of the Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami Beach. Uh, we've known each other uh, ever since then, uh, particularly in the, over the last five years when he was at the Path to Purchase Institute. He is now the chief revenue officer at a loyalty company called Fetch Rewards. Uh, and he's a good friend. So please welcome me and joining Patrick Burke. Pat, how you doing today? I'm great. And uh, honestly, I am thrilled to be here with you guys today. It's, um, you know, when you guys launched this a couple months ago, it was, uh, I was really interested in it and been tracking you guys ever since. So I'm going to start with just a couple of observations. One, I saw the, uh, I saw, heard the, the podcast with Mount and Peter, you showed up in a Coke shirt. So what that says to me is I haven't sent you guys any swag yet. And uh, I'm going to make sure that I do that immediately um afterwards so that we can write that wrong and then the other thing is the uh, the undercurrent of the theme of of baseball um there's some coastal bias in the conversation so i'm proudly representing the midwest and the chicago white Sox, who at the time of recording are only one set, one game out of the uh, first place in the division and All right well, and because sounds- you have chosen to bring that up I will actually in, do something I normally don't do, which is interrupt the conversation, especially as the guests introduce themselves and remind Peter of a famous moment from back in 2000. It was a warm summer night in the summer of 2005, and Patrick Birkenstree were at the then named US Cellular Field, also known as the Comiskey Park now. And Patrick actually took me to my first box seating ever in any sporting arena in the United States. And we watched a Jason Giambi Grand Slam. And I remember distinctly, the Giambino, the Yankees win. Ten innings, walk-off Grand Slam. I'll never forget. Pulling out all the stops for my friends. Well, I'm sure we're going to be able – and by the way, Sri never interrupts in any conversation. Of course not. You know that, Pat. It's just not his style. No, no. no. So let's, get, let's get down. Before we get to the questions, 
Pat, why don't you give us a little bit of history on yourself and particularly your, your company, Fetch Rewards, and what they do? Yeah. Um, thanks, Peter. I mean, uh, you know, myself, you mentioned Path to Purchase Institute, and it was a really uh, meaningful two years, and it allowed me to establish a lot of relationships, quite frankly, that carry through to today, um, get to know you guys even better in, in probably a different way. And before that, I spent first 18 years of my career at a company called Market Advantage originally that ultimately became what is Numerator today. Um, so, you know, I... <laughs> Hell, I have the gray hair to prove that I've been around the industry and CPG and retail for, for the past 25 years. And I think over that time, um, you know, I think all of us, the, one of the things that, you know, that is common is kind of a curiosity about what's, what's going on and, and, and what's next. And having spent 18 years tracking print promotions, it kind of felt to me like it was time to, to move on and, and look for what's next. And, the Institute allowed me to open a lot of those doors. Ultimately, one of them was Fetch. Um, I Fetch at that point was, uh, you know, startup. Let's just call it what it was, right? And it was, it was a really interesting and unique opportunity to get involved with an organization and help build, right? Help play off to build from the experience that I had gained in, in the creation of Market Advantage and and really learn from those mistakes, leverage relationships that we had. Um, I was impressed with the team that they had there. And, and quite frankly, I was really just impressed with the fact that it was started by a 20-year-old sophomore in college in Madison, Wisconsin, who decided to look at the, the industry in a different way. Um, this industry is littered with a lot of well-intended people that do the same thing year over year because that's just the way it was done before. So when there was an opportunity to flip that on its ear, I, um, I quickly joined in and uh, middle of 2016, and it's been a great run. Good. Well, let's get into the details here, Pat. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions for you, sure. and specifically around what Fetch does. So Fetch Rewards obviously rewards seems to be around loyalty. Yep. Can you tell us how it fits in specifically to the loyalty space? What's your core value proposition? Because your clients are B2B, but you also have a B2C focus. Explain to us how that works and what your proposition is. Yeah, so that's so first question is how does Fetch fit into the loyalty space? I, uniquely, oddly, um, loyalty is a really good place for it to land. Um, but I would tell you that loyalty is tough, right? Loyalty, if you look at all the major CPG companies, most of which we've worked with in some form or fashion, um, from Pepsi to Coke to Huggies to P&G to Kellogg, everybody's tried to stand up a loyalty program of some sort and, and it met varying degrees of success. Um, what we found when we looked at the space, when we were approached to do that with one of our first partners is that loyalty's tough. Um, loyalty's tough. Loyalty's expensive, right? The cost of acquisition on your first user um, compared to 20 plus million users. It's like a hockey stick and, and it's certainly not, not the growth one. It's an expense one. Um, and the other thing I think you realize with loyalty is that it ends up being a situation where you end up talking to yourself. Um, the, the people that are going to contribute that are going to try to get those rewards are actually people that are already buying your products. Um, and to get to a meaningful reward, you've got to buy a lot of those products, right? Because there's no individual um, CPG company, P&G even, that represents enough of consumer purchase to be relevant um, across the broader sense of their purchase behavior. And so 
after we were approached to do it, we basically went back to, uh, to that partner and we said, look, we think it's interesting. If 20 million people are willing to sign up for one of the most successful programs ever, there's something there. Uh, but we think the approach needs to be different. And so what we'd like to do is bring you in, give you exclusivity, and then go out and find additional partners, partners that will extend exclusivity so that we have multiple billion dollar brands, not tens, dozens of multi-billion dollar brands that we're going to allow us to connect with consumers through that exclusivity and creating a retail agnostic environment. We have the ability to connect with predominantly mom, that's just the math, um, whenever and wherever she shops and we can be more relevant. Relevance is really the key for everything that we do. So Pat, hold on a second. Is that logo on your shirt an Aramark logo or is that Dallas Cowboys? No, it's a, it's a golf club. <laughs> uh, it's a golf club. I'm like, what happened? It changed loyalty. Cause that's what we do on this podcast. We talk sports the entire episode. That's so um, in an era of loyalty, where, where the wall, new Walmart Plus program is seen as a loyalty building program, not necessarily as a competitor just to Amazon Prime, but to hook more consumers in and reward them with a bunch of benefits and perks. And you have register receipts, which creates loyalty and rewards. You have Ebates. There's a ton of digitally available uh, rebate programs. How does this application actually work? And, and then... How is it different from all these other reward-based, loyalty-based incentive ecosystems that actually exist? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'll break it down in a couple of different ways. And, and one, I mean, there's a lot of the retail-specific loyalty programs. And I mean, these are programs that brands are and should be invested in, right? You need to support your retail partners. But at the end of the day, the re your retail partners, are most they're, the loyalty they're looking for is to them. Right. And your brand is part of driving that loyalty. But they just they'd be as, just as happy if you buy their private label, their own brand offering, whereas that doesn't help any of the national brands that are looking to stand out and differentiate themselves over time. Um, a lot of the other comparisons, I would say, are digital incentive platforms. So, you know, you have your traditional FSIs that were out there. Those are replaced by a, a host of digital incentive platforms but they don't do anything but encourage the same switching behavior or race to the bottom. And our feeling by uh, going, I'll go back to exclusivity, our feeling that good, that offering exclusivity and the ability to connect on the basis of the first party data that our users are willing to share and knowingly share, that we were gonna have the ability to leverage that data to provide them the ability to target and connect with mom wherever mom was shopping and whenever mom was shopping. It's an always on platform, our fundamental belief was that it was going to be easier to get mom to go up or down one shelf, right to left on one shelf, than it would be to go for a single item at, a, at an individual store, right? Be relevant, connect with her where she is, wherever she wants to shop. So a unified platform for loyalty for the brands first. And Patrick, just to clarify for our listeners, when you say exclusivity, you're referring to a brand within a category that they get exclusive first steps. Yes. So if we've got a diaper manufacturer, carbonated soft drink uh, brand, those have exclusivity on the platform. They operate in a world where they're effectively the only product on the shelf. There is no private label. There is no competitive brand. 
um, that's present or they will get rewarded on. There is no switching out. That's very, very fundamental to what we do. It's always on regardless of whether they're promoting at that period of time or not. So I heard a little bit about exclusivity. I heard a little bit about coalition. Can you frame out a little bit more about why a brand would choose to work with you versus um, other types of investment options? I heard you talk about FSI. I heard you talk about retailer. Is it a mix issue? Is it an either or? And how do you, and is also where are you tapping into the budget? Because Sri and I always talk about above the line, below the line. Sure. Where, I'm assuming this fits more into the national marketing budget than it, than it does against a specific retail budget, correct? Yeah, so I think that, um, so, so the answer is a lot of the above. It just really depends. Um, as you both know, having worked in uh, multiple organizations, what I would say is it's there aren't a lot of either ors, right? People have to be thoughtful about the investment decisions that they're making. And and, and I think I mentioned it, but you, there, our brands are still going to invest with their retail partners. And that makes all the sense in the world. You need to support them and and, and ultimately to get their support and, and shelves and end caps and all the things that uh, that we know and love. Um, but where, again, where we're differentiated and where people are, where these brands are coming to us is that the exclusive nature, the exclusive nature of what we do, the retail agnostic nature of what we do, and the fact that we share this first party data with them, and the fact that our scale, quite, you know, when we started in January of 17, um, you know, kind of effectively fall off the back of a turnip truck, and um, we've got 20 users that are fetch users and um, a couple of innovation people from our, our partner. You know, as we scale up to 5.5 million um, active users, it gives us scale. It gives us the largest addressable audience that they own, and they've got the ability to activate in a way and connect with shoppers based on behavior, not what they said they were going to do, not what they might do, but what they actually did. And therefore, they can drive efficiencies um, and greater effectiveness. And so that's where we win a lot of coin flips um, when it comes to where those investment dollars should go. Uh, so, go ahead. I wanted to answer Peter's second question. But go ahead. Go ahead, Patrick. No, please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, from a um, where do the investment dollars come from? Whole bunch of places, right? So, consumer incentive budgets, trade budgets, um, team budgets that are in the local markets, right? It really um, there are a host of <laughs> you know we get from data and research. Um, it's what one of the things that I like is that we've got a bunch of different areas within the businesses that we work with. It adds layers of complexity too. But um, ultimately, we've got a lot of different constituents that we can uh, that we can work with and partner with. Hey, Patrick, I was saving this question for later, but I'm going to move it up because uh, we just we just mentioned one of my favorite areas, which is somewhat alluding to media and brands, and it comes from trade budgets. You know, fetch rewards is bang square in the middle of loyalty and rewards. At the end of the day, more rewards than loyalty than anything else. At the end of the day, which means you're creating a gravity and a pull as a magnet more towards building brand equity. Why is this not in a media mix-based ecosystem and a partnership with brands? Why is it a commercial selling partnership of trade rates? Just so what is, I would... My humble belief, Patrick, when I ask you that question, I also ask it from a lens. My humble belief, uh, while, while working at J&J with the financial accounting boards of New York is anything that's trade is an actual price discount to the consumer. And anything that is not should really belong in the media line that incents commercial growth of any sort. And isn't Fetch Rewards better off going down that path? Um, you know, I, 
I think maybe. Um, and and it's, it's, part, it's part of the conversation that we're having now with our scale. When you're talking about 100,000 or a half million or even 2 million users, you didn't have, um, you didn't have the right representation. Um, to be able to do that. So more and more often um, we're working with our partners and we're starting to become a bigger media consideration when it comes to the eyeballs that we have, uh, that we attract and, and certainly the market that we can address. Hey, Pat, you mentioned a number 5.5. I want to kind of dig into that a little bit about, is that a total number? Is it monthly active? How do you measure that? And then, and then the other thing I'd like you to do, because we, we really haven't touched about it. We've kind of referred to it. Walk us through the user experience. What do they have to do to get that reward? What are you collecting and how is that meaningful to the brands? So I'm going to go in reverse on that because I think- By all means. By all means. I think answers the second. So Fetch Rewards, um, download App Store, Google Play, wherever you get your apps. Uh, Completely free app. What we do when we welcome a new user into the app is we quickly introduce them to the fact that there's 300 plus brands available to them. 300 plus, 300 plus brands is, is, is kind of daunting, right? And so what we quickly do is we coach them into taking a picture of their receipt or submitting electronically one of their digital transactions, be it from Amazon or whatever digital platform. It could be Walmart, it could be Target, et cetera. But it's completely agnostic regardless of channel. So we quickly coach them into that behavior. And then what that does is it starts the personalization engine. Basically, every transaction that you submit lets us know, lets our brand partners know a little bit more about you so that we can serve up content that's relevant to you, right? So, so Peter, uh, I saw the picture of you having your laptop on top of the diaper boxes a couple of weeks ago. Where it is right now. You're going to get promotions for diapers, right? And you're going to get... Di- and you're going to get greater discounts or greater incentives if you're purchasing from a competitive part or a competitive brand ah. versus our partner, right? Shri and I, fortunately, are past that stage unless Shri's got news. So we don't, we're not in that category. We're not going to see diapers, right? Because it's not yeah. relevant to us. And so the experience ultimately becomes like a fingerprint. Everybody's experience with Fetch is different just based on what you do, who you are, where you are, and the information that you share with us. That relevance, and because it's not a onesie-twosie or kind of a one-off kind of engagement, allows our users to get familiar with the brands. Hey, you know what? Where they have loyalty to competition of one or two brands, there's 300 other brands where loyalty might be up for grabs. So what we're the always on is effectively a percent off that we're giving based on the purchase of a brand partner. And what that does is it starts to create a gamification, if you will. So when you scan that first receipt, what you're gonna do is you're gonna, we're gonna automatically within seconds, put it into a digital receipt that's fed back to you, tells you how many points that you have received. And the next time you buy those diapers, Peter, what you're gonna do is you're gonna see that you could have earned points by purchasing a partner product. And so we're constantly getting those brands in front of you and relevant brands uh, based on what you do. That relevance keeps people in the platform. That relevance has translated into those five and a half million users that on average are submitting 16 plus receipts. What is, I'll appeal to the data geek and the three of us. Oh, we're there. We're with you. Those 16 transactions tell us that we're getting every purchase across every channel. Convenience, club, 
grocery, mask, drug, blind spots that are typically existing in, in current platforms and in, in traditional data sources go away because we've got all of that data and we've got permission to share it with all of our brands. Yeah, let's, look, let's look back at the old IRI days of consumer panel, right? Convenience was a big blind spot to your point because people would consume at the store. They didn't bring an empty bottle home with them at night to scan on their wand and capture. And so convenience data was worthless in the panel. What you're telling me is that that's no longer the issue. That is no longer the issue. And it's a unified panel, right? It's got every channel. You don't have to source some from one area and some from another. You've got the ability. They've got permission. Again, it, it all goes back to first-party data, right? And our let's, ability let's to, to the numbers. Let's get to the numbers. You mentioned 5.5 million. Break that down for us. Yep. You know, when I, again, back, I'm back to panel, right? I'm thinking churn rate, attrition, sure. monthly active. Get, give me some, give me some juicy numbers. I'm a, I'm a data guy, Pat. So uh, yeah, no, that's great. 5.5. Uh, um, I, we just kind of go to what is a common and, and representative respected third party, which is AppAnt, right? It gives us the ability, especially at the, at the scale that we've achieved to do the comparisons against all of the comparables, right? Okay. So where do we stand um, against any other option that somebody might have to invest? And, and quite frankly, it, it has gives us the ability to look at people that you normally wouldn't compare yourself against, right? So when I look at monthly active users, which is that 5.5 million, that's one number. But then I also look at weekly active and you can think about something like Instacart. We have more weekly active users than Instacart right now. So when you think oh. about where eyeballs are, um, we've Stop got- the press. Repeat that statement. You have more weekly active users than Instacart. Yes, sir. That's for, multiple, for multiple months running. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Bravo. What a, what a big deal. I, th I, think, I think to be able to say that itself is a big deal. You know, it took, it, honestly, it took a long way to get here, but I think it all goes back to consumer first, focus on brands and committing to those brand partnerships, driving value through those two, that, through that intersection, and then creating a product, quite frankly, that, that's fun. You know, if you go to the app store right now and you look at all of the reviews that we have, the first things that you're gonna, the first two words that you're gonna run into are fun and easy, and that's key, right? The, I don't, we're not gonna sit still, but our retention is double any comparable in the space, and it's because of the approach that we've that we took. We believe that that would happen, but it's nice to see that it actually has. Those five and a half million actives are on the basis of twelve and a half million downloads. Our retention rate is massive. Um, That's impressive. And I'll tell you right now, um, one thing that we're actively looking, you know, we, we live in the world that we live in. Um, but the one thing that we don't know is the depth and the length of the recession that we face. I will tell you that we've actually had users, people that have attrited months ago, a year ago, are starting to pop back up into the platform. So older cohorts are starting to re-engage as convenient savings becomes that much more relevant. Let's jump to let's jump to brands. We talked about the consumer. By the way, Peter and I come from the same retail one-on-one school as you, which is if you put the consumer at the center and you always produce products of great quality and value to the consumer, this formula never fails. It's it's like magic. I wonder how why why many brands fail if you 
if this is the formula. So, so that's a bad, let's actually go to brands for a second. Since we have been speaking about the king and queen here, which is the consumer. Yep. Who are your brand partners? How do you find them? Do they come to you? Do you actively look for them? Are there certain categories you'll prioritize with others? Are there categories this makes no sense whatsoever? Are there categories where there's better value to the consumer versus some others? Just give us the whole brand ecosystem. What's going on there with Fetch Awards? What I like about that question is not only does Sri reserve the right to interrupt, but he reserves the right to ask like eight questions just to see if I remember them all. Pack them all uh, together. <laughs> so um, brands. Okay. So what you do uh, when you start, when you try to stand up a consumer engagement platform like we have is you kind of start in the middle and the middle in, in my definition is high velocity consumables, right? And so you start with those everyday items that people are going to be engaging with. Uh, because if you have a product that is only purchased once a month or once a quarter, you just aren't gonna be able to get people engaged enough to even remember that you exist, right? So you start with high velocity consumables, all the usual suspects. I will say then what you do and the way that we approached it and, and, and we approach them, right? When we kind of rolled this thing out in January 17, we had one partner and then we had to look for those type, those brands, those CPG companies that were a little bit more progressive in nature not progressive from a political perspective, but companies that were investing in what's next and going forward. And so we approached many of them and a couple of them came on board right away. And so we were off to the races, but we continue to focus on expanding out that, that circle and that audience so that we could continue to be more relevant. Our brand partners, which you will very, I'm not going to mention one because I'm not that I won't mention them all, and that's probably not fair or probably the right thing to do um, from a relationship perspective. But if you log into the app, it'll become very clear who our partners are very quickly. They are the number one or the number two brands in all of their categories. Why? Because you've got to be relevant to the people that are using the app right? I, there are a bunch of brands that I might like to work with. I think are kind of cool. Um, we've actually introduced a new program where if they're not competing with the national brands that we work with, where we allow some of these smaller brands or categories that are emerging to kind of come in and, and sample the audience for shorter periods of time. But from a core perspective, we have to be focused on the top brands that are most relevant, that are going to have the biggest impression on our users. So that way we can get um, the retention that we've just talked about. Um, so they all make sense in that context. I believe that we'll continue to go out from that circle though, right? And so you, you might have products like batteries that you buy once a year. I think they become relevant at a certain point and they can leverage all of the weekly purchases that you have from the other brands, right? But they add another point of relevance that keeps the users engaged in the platform. I envision a time where, you know, when our, as our audience grows, apparel, consumer electronics, they're ultimately all consumer purchases. Those aren't new verticals. Those are just products that have different purchase cycles. And ultimately, all of them um, can or should be participating in the platform. So, Pat, earlier you spoke about what we commonly refer to as the customer journey. You talked about me and my owning, uh, my having a daughter that, that's in using diapers and how you, uh, the kind of offers I would see versus what you would see. Walk, walk us through how you build a journey map for a brand, uh, the decisions that they make, how, what, are the, what are the components that they have to consider, the reward levels, 
what have you, and how you help them build a campaign strategy? Because it sounds, to a degree, it sounds a little complex. I'm sure that you've built a platform to make it easier. Walk us through how a brand works with you to plan a successful campaign. You know, I think that starts, um, you haven't heard me use the word client. I've used the word partner a lot. And yeah. that's, really, that's, that's a really important element to start with. And that partnership, it, it's reflective of the approach that we've taken. We don't have one-off relationships. We have longer standing, longer term commitments that span not just a month or not just a quarter, but a year and two years and, and, and so forth. So what that then allows us to do is invest in embedding our team. We've got, um, we've got a multi-person team for each one of our accounts that's reflective of an account leader, an account manager, and given the volume of first-party data, a business intelligence analyst that is working with them, that is focused on their business. We then leverage that part of the relationship to get to understand what the needs are of the individual brands. How, what's their innovation schedule look like? What are the core elements that they're pushing on? So it allows us to then reflect that into the application and align with the, per- with the consumer purchase data that we have to make sure that we serve up the most contextually relevant information at that time. And it does, it has the ability to actually move with you, right? And, you know, because three years ago, you weren't in the diaper business, <laughs> right? You know, and, and, and your life changed dramatically. But now you need diapers. And you need baby food and and at first and you needed infant formula, right? And and so we've got the ability as you give us signals of what's coming in your life, we've got the ability to be contextually relevant, read those signals so that we can serve up the best audience possible. It's not, you know, we've got a massive audience, but it's not about broadcasting to everybody. It's fine tuning it down to the ones that are most relevant to my brand. And then we talk a lot about digital incentives and that's how you motivate. But at the end of the day, it's not just about digital incentives. It's about messaging. It's about communication. It's about adding value to life, being contextually so well relevant. And, so well uh, our partners are on that journey and um, it, it allows us to do some interesting things, right? When, when we've got this relationship, um, one of the things that we did not envision when we launched this is, is how much that we would be used for a survey capability, right? Surveys, surveys are weak when, you, when, you, when you're reacting to what people said they were gonna do. We can target based on what they did. And, it, and so there's, a, there's a strength there and our partners are really leveraging that when it comes to product innovation, um, when it comes to just general impression or you know, sentiments about the brand itself. Well, when you think about the two big data providers of panel, They use the same 100,000 households and their ability to survey that 100,000 is very limited and you can't get very deep in the purchasing behavior. What I hear you saying is you're more on the retailer end, the retailer loyalty end in that you have multi-channel transaction data for millions of people. So being able to leverage that and identify first party data that becomes extremely large. So I can understand why they want to go after your audience to do surveys. That's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, the best thing about it, right. And, and, and the three of us know this certainly walking in is that you we're, we're the same person across every retailer that we go to, but every retailer wants us to sign up for their loyalty platform. And, and, and that's fine. They should, but there's a disconnect there, a really big one. 
And you can work with your retail partner. You should work with your retail partner. And they can tell you more about what happens inside their box than anybody else. And that's great. And by extension, they know what you don't do with them. But Peter, they, there is a couple retailers that you engage with all the time that sell diapers that have no idea that you have a baby at home. We know, right? Yeah. We know yeah. how many of those, we know how many of those are going to a different channel. We know how many of them have shifted online. It give, there's a lot of strength in having the continuity of that first party data um, over time. Yeah. Hey, Patrick, I'm going to go back to the consumer for one second and make mm -hmm. this sort of two-part question. And I'm going to go part one, get the answer, go part two after that, because the other one is back on brands. Yeah. And the consumer question is, as a consumer, what can I expect from a rewards perspective when I sign up for Fetch Reward? Could you just give us a high-level overview? Am I, am I looking for gift cards? Am I looking for swag? What can I expect? And, and are they tiers? Like, could you give us, just for the purpose of audience, what they can gain by signing up for Fetch Rewards and becoming an active member? Yeah, so Fetch's currency is points. Um, fetch points um, are, are awarded based on purchasing partner products you're getting a percentage back and that percentage will fluctuate depending on the priorities of the brands, the, uh, the companies that we're working with, but you're going to get percentage back all the time on all of their brands. It's an always on platform. So that surprise and delight moment is around every corner. It keeps the user engaged. After we get to know at the beginning, we're going to do what I would say are low value incentives to kind of start to coach you into the idea that there are, there's an incentive structure here. And then after we see what you're buying and where you're buying, those digital incentives, those special offers, as we would call them, start to become personalized. And the brands have a unique ecosystem where they can do a lot of A-B testing, right? And, and they're protected, right? They're protected sure, sure. and they, can't, they can do within fetch what they can't do in the national market because you can limit the distribution of any of those incentives. So you start to pick away at what would have, what, an incentive that's always about, pick on uh, Revlon for a second because you were just there. You do a lot of those things. You have those programs, those FSIs that are going out. And from time to time, the depth of discount gets greater, not less. So we've got the ability to go into the platform with our brand partners and do group A, B, and is there a substantial difference in response? And we're doing that all the time. We are constantly doing A-B testing against the platform to make sure that our brands are giving the relevant savings to the people, but not to the users, but not necessarily over-incenting them, right? It's not about racing to the bottom. We want to get the right savings to the right people at the right time. And then Patrick, part B of that question is back to the brands. You've mentioned A-B testing a couple of times. I can only, my mind just uh, thinks of all the different insights that can emerge from a platform like this with the data being collected at the T-log level, aka register level. And, and uh, keeping that in mind, you've also mentioned diaper quite a few times. Is there a business case study brewing here, A-B testing diapers that Peter and I are sniffing out? <laughs> uh, diapers is just a convenient thing. No pun intended, by the way, sniffing out. <laughs> diapers is convenient only because um i saw the picture of peter with his uh laptop on a diaper box but 
Um, you know, the I, I think I think what you're getting to is, you know, how do we what are what are some of the best practices? What are some of the ways that we work with our partners? And, and actually, one of the things that the the onset of the pandemic really allowed us to do is look at first party data in a different way. Right. So when we kind of got into that second week of March, when everything went up for grabs and people were going into the store begrudgingly, um, maybe. And um, they, they were going and they were picking things off of the shelf, not based on a brand, but they were buying a category and they were buying what was there. What that led to was an unprecedented amount of trial, right? And a bunch of product introductions that happened naturally as a byproduct of the pandemic. So we then go back and we peel it back a little bit for our brand partners. And we have the ability to evaluate who are new entrants into the brand, new entrants into the category, who are those that you lost? And then as the dust has settled, what it's allowed us to do is put together marketing programs that are aimed to keep new trialists into the program. Yep. And on the flip side of that, people that strayed, their loyalty went somewhere else. How do I bring them back along? So it becomes a two-prong attack. And I think that's one of the, if I look at one type of analysis that we've done that's been most successful, most broadly, that is definitely uh, in the team photo. Otherwise, it does. It becomes as diverse as the brands and the products that we have. We do a lot of work around product innovation. Um, that actually, we were kind of picking away at sampling um, a couple of years ago. Sampling is now a massive undertaking uh, as part of the platform because, you know, when, when do you envision somebody standing at the end of the aisle giving away samples again? They're not. We've got the ability to put relevant innovation in front of people on the basis of the fact that they're in the category or adjacent to the category. Not only do we put it in front of the right audience, we see who bought it. We have the ability to survey them. And most importantly, we have the ability to see if they went back and repeat it, trial and repeat. And we can do that all day. So I, I'm again, there's a part C that's evolved in my mind before Peter gets to the last He's question. He's interrupting with another question, Pat. <laughs> So, so if I'm a user and I want to sign up for Fetch Rewards, how easy is this to do and how easy is this to execute? Is this me filling a form on a website and then I'm good to go and then all I got to do is anytime I get to a point of sale, I take my receipt and use my smart device and I'm done? Is it that simple? It is that simple. Um, we, we make the barrier, we make that hurdle to get in as low as we can do, right? We've got to have age gating and state gating, right? We've got BevAl partners and, and we've got, you know, we want to make sure that we do all the right things, but we capture a minimal amount of information. And then we allow the users to kind of contribute information as they progress along. Uh, but it's very simple. You just download Fetch Rewards. You, take, you go shop wherever you shop. You take a picture of your receipt. We reward you the points. I didn't answer one of your eight questions earlier, which was how do those points translate out? Those That currency, the way to make it really easy was to to leverage that currency out into digital gift cards. Ver hundreds of different options, ranging from um, a trip to the salon to retail gift cards. And you know, life's changed a little bit, but what I would tell you is that one of the most rewarding things for us is feedback from the users about how they're using those, those points and how they're using those gift cards. And yeah. you know, mom looks at shopping as a job, right? And a lot of the feedback that we get, the majority of moms, they're taking the opportunity to treat themselves with that gift card, to make that gift card something that is a payoff for something that they have to do. 
And, you know, that's, we didn't envision that. And, and quite frankly, that's, uh, it's really rewarding when that happens. Um, you know, the other thing that we didn't really talk about, um, but on the topic of users, is our users and our brands are of equal uh, inspiration to us from an innovation perspective. And within the first 100 receipts, I'm not even kidding, within the first 100 receipts we received in January of 2017 was a McDonald's receipt. We kind of looked at it and we said, oh, okay, they just didn't get it, right? Um, but it didn't stop. So they kept submitting restaurant receipts because users weren't looking at it as life in retail like the three of us were. It's life of food, right? Yeah. And so what we did is we launched well we launched uh, launched a restaurant vertical um, earlier this right. year. We brought on a former CEO of CKE to lead that vertical and help us with uh, international expansion. Because not for nothing, I haven't, I'll admit it, I haven't run a, a multinational billion dollar brand before. Um, he has. <laughs> so you just try to surround yourself with good people, take inspiration from your users and, um, you know, I think that uh, if we continue to do that, continue to keep our focus where it should be, we'll continue to grow. Peter, did he just tell us about what's next for Fetch Rewards? Uh, he's going to probably tell us a little bit more. But before before we get to Shree's last question, you know, you brought up the elephant in the room, Pat. No, it's not the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, it's the pandemic. Yeah. And you talked about the behaviors that people were doing during those first couple of weeks. I know when I would make a run to the Mariano store, when I was living in Chicago, there was a lot of out of stocks. I was grabbing whatever I could get. And I certainly wasn't opening up my mobile app to see what was on deal that week. I was just trying to get in and out of that store. So talk to us a little bit about what you were seeing from your end in terms of your users and and the brands and their willingness, because I got to imagine a lot of brands saying, why am I trying to remote when I don't even know if my product's on the shelf? How has that changed since the beginning of the pandemic too? Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's a good point to double click on. I mean, I think we saw all the things that you would have expected, right? We saw fewer trips, we saw bigger baskets, right? That I think that that was, that was going to be pretty common or that was to be expected. Uh, we talked about the trial. Um, and obviously the, you know, the, your example, you're, you're not looking for deals. You're just looking for products that you need to bring to your house. You want to get in, you want to get out. Um, yeah, we have brand partners that quite frankly, didn't have the need. Uh, you can't, they can't get toilet paper onto the shelf by definition. They don't need to plug in. They don't need to push demand, right? <laughs> because they don't have any supply. And so, you know, we, we just really, you know, we, as an organization just kind of said, okay, let's, let's kind of land. Where are we today? got really good relationships with these partners. What do they need from us right now? And what they needed from us right then was just an understanding in real time of what people were doing and where, and how can we react to that? And so what I would tell you is that our brands looked at it, not from a basket building perspective, not from a trial perspective, but really just wanted to lean in and communicate to the people, uh, the users of the application. Look, we know that our products might not be available, but when they are, we're going to reward you back with a higher percentage. So it wasn't a demand driver as much as it was a loyalty play. And they really pulled those levers to say, we're with you. And, and it was really meaningful. And, and, and so, you know, you can, it was, um, you know, March and, March and April were lumpy. <laughs> um, well, and they were, I think they were a little bit lumpy for everybody. It's, 
And we were just kind of figuring it out. But I would tell you that what it allowed us to do is to deepen our relationships um, with our users, with our brands to our users, and then with us to our brands. Um, and I think in a couple of different ways. One, just by being willing to have the conversation. Um, two, um, look at us right now, right? We're sitting in our home environment. Re you know, the three of us are social people by nature, and we would love to be sitting in the same room with one another across the table from one another. But those are conference rooms. They don't tell us anything about one another, right? And, and, and the White Sox or the Green Bay Packers or the Rolling Stones, like you just don't know that about me in that kind of context. So we've been able to get to know our partners a little bit better. Um, and it's been, a, it's been really, it's been a really good thing for our business and for our relationships. Thrilled. We didn't, you know, we didn't have to lay off one person um, as part of this. And, and, and in fact, our business, um, our business has grown. We've, uh, you know, we've brought on dozens of new people to help support that growth. We've had brought on six new partners. I mean, we brought on 2.3 million new users since March 14th. It's um, the pandemic is is something that none of us would have wanted. Um, but I think if you just try to do the right thing by your people, your users, and your and your partners, you can succeed. Wow. Yeah, it's all about converting adversity to advantage. So congratulations on having done that successfully the last few months. The one thing I want to remind all our listeners is, you know, our show, the CPG guys, is anchored on omnichannel, and we tend to talk a lot about e-commerce, which is clearly an area where there's a lot of buzz, excitement. But as we spoke to David Buckingham uh, in a previous episode, the CEO of uh, Acribo Register Receipts and uh, Marketing via Register Receipts, he kind of restressed about how the store model was, is, and will be a largest part of retail. You know, I'm reminded of that when I speak to you again, the importance of register, uh, having the actual receipt in your hand. And just to mention casually for all our listeners, you know, here on the CPG guys, this is not just about e-commerce. This is about end-to-end -end retail. And we got a ton of content coming up on the store business model as well. Of course, the anchor these days being omnichannel. And with that, the last question for you, Pat, today is you kind of alluded to what's coming up next on the restaurant side uh, for Fetch Rewards. What else is going on at Fetch Rewards is exciting these days that consumers can look forward to and brands can as well. Yeah, you know, I mentioned, um, you know, we've we've gone into truly omni-channel, right? When we launched, it was more just kind of receipts that you could hold in your hands. And, and we've been able to connect Amazon and, and across all channels, whether it's in-store, click and collect, um, or just in, just in your traditional online purchase. Um, we are expanding um, in the in terms of restaurants, right, and in, in becoming share of stomach. I mean, ultimately, if you want to tease that out, you're going to start thinking about share of wallet, which I think becomes another important consideration. Um, international expansion is certainly on the uh, on the radar, and and we're working with our partners, and we're, we're really, you know, what we're following our business into the markets that are addressable by a technology like the one that we provide. Um, there is a uh, there's a lot of room to run um, even before we leave <laughs> the 50 states that we have in terms of brands. Um, at the end of the day, we want to have not just a partner in every aisle, but a partner in every category, because that's ultimately what's going to make us most relevant um, to all of the users that, uh, that continue to come onto the platform. Well, I want to remind all of our followers who are listening to the podcast today that you should go and visit cpgguys.com, because if you go there, you're going to find a link to the audio podcast 
on 15 different platforms. You'll find a link to the podcast and YouTube video. You can find our list of our favorite podcasts to listen to. You can find our profiles on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find our Instagram page, our Twitter page, all of this, cpgguys.com. And if you like what you heard today and you like what you've been hearing all along, can you just go to uh, tinyurl.com slash podcast? Give us a star rating. And if you, if you want to also write a review, because it means a lot to us. Uh, it's great feedback for us and helps us promote our podcast. Uh, I really want to thank our guest, uh, Pat, for coming today. Pat, uh, you filled us with just a wealth of information, more than, uh, more than I even expected. And I'm going to be following up with you on a couple of things. But uh, it was really great. And I'm looking forward to the day that you and Shri and I can, can go out to, uh, to White Sox Park. It keeps changing names. I don't know what it is now. It's like, it's like I miss Key Park. No, no, it's, it, that's so three names ago, Shri. I don't, oh, am I out of date? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great but anyhow, we'll go there for a, for a dog and a, and a beer, and we look forward to getting, getting together with you. So thanks, thanks a lot for joining us today, Pat. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been fun to catch up. And, and to, my, uh, to my journeyman on this adventure, Shri, always fun. Another just stellar episode. This was great, great content. Thank you, Peter. And it's always a pleasure when we can have an industry veteran like us who we've grown up together last 15 odd years in CPG and retail. It was a pleasure to have you, Pat. Thank you, gentlemen. It was a lot of fun. So everyone, thank you for joining us. We look forward to you having, uh, having us on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Have a great day. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.